0: This episode is sponsored by Pearson Instruments. Brad Pearson is a luthier and guitar tech based in South Vancouver in the Marpole neighborhood. He's also a bassist who plays in the jazz scene and is a big supporter of local music in general. Take your string instruments to Brad to get them sounding beautiful and feeling great. Brad is always quick to turn around repair jobs and will put in all the work your instrument needs. Go to PearsonInstruments.ca to learn more about Brad and what he does. That's PearsonInstruments.ca to learn more. Thanks to Brad for sponsoring the show. Hello, and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and on this episode, we welcome back Porto. Porto are an alternative folk duo composed of vocalist and synth player Victoria Williams and guitarist Craig Stevenson, who, over the course of two records, have created their own ethereal, expansive sound. Together with Victoria and Craig, we discuss the process of emerging from their pandemic hiatus explore the more personal intimate direction of their latest release what i need and learn about their first ever tour of japan here's the first single off the band's new album what i need this is chasing celadon
1: not that i can recall what i wished for not that it matters anymore Stream about
0: So, Victoria Craig, great to have you back on the show. It's been a while.
1: It's been a, a hot minute, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what have you two been
2: listening to lately?
1: Ooh, Craig?
2: Uh, I was listening to uh, that Braids record on the way here. Is that the most recent one? Yeah, really, really good. We're exposed to so much music in Japan. Uh, it was crazy. We were trading CDs with like all the bands. Some of the stuff... It's kind of hard to find online, but if you can find that one record called Freed by, yeah, I think that's the band name, right? Uh, By Kita Akago. Unbelievable. If if anybody's ever listened to uh, like Robbie Basho, it gives me that kind of vibe, just like American primitivism guitar. And yeah, it's like super spiritual, mystical, highly recommend. Like, japanese spiritual guitar garage rock or essentially it was done on an acoustic yeah okay
0: that, yeah that is cool because i know like i i like japanese music quite a bit and i find a lot of it um the the trend seems to be like very technical which i love but like y- you don't hear a lot of uh well maybe just for me i haven't heard a lot of like you know really caveman like punk stuff coming out of japan or anything like that so yeah
2: totally yeah, it's funny you say that too. That there was like a lot of like uh, super technical playing, like almost like snarky puppy esque. There was this one band we played with. They were called OKY. Everybody was like a total virtuoso on their instrument, just like shredding, but super tastefully. Yeah, highly recommend that too. Vic, what are you? What are you listening to?
1: I also really like that new braids. And also, just like continuously listening to uh, Beyonce's Renaissance album, been listening to that a lot. I think I've been uh, getting a lot of clips of her live shows, and it re-inspired me to start listening to that album again. So that's been my favorite uh, blasting in the car record, I'd say, as as of late.
0: And yeah, no, that that record was uh, very popular last year. Like when totally, it dropped, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I loved it when it dropped, and. I took some time away from it, but as I said, seeing uh, all these clips from her live performances, it's got me back into it.
0: I know my sibling had a chance to see them, and, and they they complained because of their their seating there was like a like a stanchion in the way, okay. and the, the it was like I think it was the tour with Beyonce and Jay Z, uh, and the the screens were split so that one screen was Jay Z and one screen was Beyonce. And they were just seeing the, the jay-z screen they're like i don't want the jay-z screen give us
1: give us beyonce <laughs> just want beyonce <laughs> yeah fair enough
0: yeah <laughs> and that braids album is that like a, a new one that dropped it this year yeah okay yeah. i think cool. in the
1: past couple months i would say nice yeah i'd check that out because i've liked
0: the last
2: couple of albums of theirs i have deep in the iris on vinyl mm, nice yeah. yeah one more album i wanted to mention i'm super stoked for it have you ever checked out uh angelo d'agostin he like did an album with uh with sofian uh in the pandemic but now he's releasing one uh i guess he did albums on his own before but i wasn't aware of him at that time it's called toil and trouble and like there's like four singles out three or four singles just super cool like the sound spaces he creates are super interesting intimate yeah might be a good uh way for me to break into listening to
0: Sufjan because i've slept on him for whatever reason oh he's the best yeah, yeah. love him no he's, he's a he's a bit of a critical darling so <laughs> yeah well since you mentioned uh since you mentioned japan i might as well just kind of, <laughs> kind of just dive into that porto recently returned from a tour of japan so i gotta ask like how you got connected with that
2: opportunity and some highlights from the tour oh man yeah it was a whirlwind uh we um met with a booker in japan his his name is yuya and his company is is called more works and we met with them at breakout west up in whitehorse in 2019 uh and uh i don't know what it felt like he's a super cool dude we got along really well and um when we finished uh i think it was when we finished mixing or when we finished mastering this recent record We just kind of sent it to him just hey do you want to check this out and then that kind of got the ball rolling and uh he was so great at kind of finding venues that were the perfect fit for us and the lineups were were perfect genre wise um everything was so easy and streamlined we took the train everywhere when we showed up to the first show there was a big box of the japanese versions of the new Porto CD there. Ooh. So we didn't have to bring merch over. Nice. Uh, uh, which was awesome. But we flew into Tokyo, and uh, we t- took a couple of days to kind of acclimatize.
1: I was more uh, the operations side right. of this tour, I would say. <laughs> um, long for the ride. Yeah, we were in Matsumoto. We played in Tokyo, in Shibuya. Um, we were in Nagoya, Takamatsu... We were up in Sapporo, we also played a show in Osaka. So we were really all over the place. Um, And for me, the highlight was just having the chance to hear the music scene in Japan. Each show we were sort of partnered with artists from that city. And so each night it was like two, three, four new artists that we had never really heard of before um, getting to play alongside them. And so it was really cool exposure to the Japanese music scene over there. Um, and each night was totally different, but I don't know that it was just a really good, um, fit for our music. And it felt like really cohesive, um, shows that we were able to put on, um, but also really playing into the uniqueness of like what the Japanese independent music scene looks like.
0: What was the, uh, like just turnout for your shows and reception and all that like?
1: Yeah, it was. We were. We had no idea what to expect. Um, we were playing smaller venues, but the audiences were so receptive, um, and just in true Japanese fashion, like the most polite, respectful, and warm audiences. Um, I was thrown off on the first night. We learned what a encore uh, call out looks like in Japan. Um, we had never seen this before. We're used to the kind of whoops and hollerings and people encore, saying yeah, encore, encore. encore. Um, but in Japan, it's a much more streamlined and polite uh, sort of thing. They all clap and then they just start clapping in unison together, slowly and smiling at you. and that is the indicator that they want you to play another song. Um, so on the first night when that happened, I had no idea. I thought they were just clapping in unison for some strange reason. Mm. <laughs> and I sort of just walked down into the audience and then they just continued to clap and smile at me. And our tour manager had to sort of like
0: yeah.
1: usher me off oh. and be like, they, they want you to do another <laughs> song.
0: <laughs> so, but it's not like the Viking clap that you <laughs> no. you see. No, okay.
1: No, just a really polite, but intense clapping in unison to get you back up there which was lovely but yeah audiences were amazing and and just you know despite the language barrier i think we still were able to have such cool meaningful conversations with folks over there and try our best to explain where our lyrics were coming from with the help of google translate learn a bit about what they were taking from the music and so yeah that was that was really powerful in and of itself
0: and was that uh, your first time in Japan as well?
1: First time in Japan. Nice. So we were really just kind of dove right in um, with very little Japanese, um, either of us. We, we couldn't speak much Japanese. So we had our thank yous and our hellos and...
0: Very important. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> the all, all the important things. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was really just us trying to let the music speak for us cuz that's the best way i think to connect with people when there's those language barriers
0: at the same time i imagine that like especially in bigger cities they are used to to tourists so i imagine that there's some help that you can get if you're like lost or something like that
1: totally also even if they don't speak english and they see you looking lost more than willing to try to help you get on your way Yeah, we were very lucky to meet so many really nice, nice people along the way, even when we were slightly confused and maybe partially lost, trying to to find our way. We always got there with the help of others.
0: What in general, what's the vibe like at Japanese shows as opposed to like, you know, playing a show here? Because obviously, like, you know, there's more of a focus here with, like, um, you know, some venues. Like, I was at a show last night and, like, a touring band played, but they were done by 10 so they could kick out the bands and bring in, like, the club
2: scene, so. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't prevalent there. And the the venues themselves, it's hard to... I was trying to pinpoint if there was a venue similar to the venues we were playing in Vancouver, but they were, like, little mini Foxes and Biltmore's. Mm. Uh, Like, maybe, like... 75 to like 100 kind of people and they were perfect for us cuz they were always full and it's so much nicer to play a yeah. <laughs> a full room no matter what size it is. The sound was always so good. Like there are a lot of really small venues here that we love uh but the they're more DIY. So then we would play like a more stripped down set whereas these venues still had like a drum kit and stuff on stage that was very controlled sound. No green room usually. So we I mean which was awesome for us cuz we were hanging out with everybody yeah. the whole time. Uh sometimes like there was more than one show where the bar section was separate to the performance section. It's like through a little door. Oh, almost like a theater. Yeah. Uh yeah, I guess I never thought about it like that. Um I wanna say that so many of the bars we went to in Japan were tiny. Like we drank in a bar on the last night that was, you could probably sit six people in the bar total. Whoa. And uh, when, after that one show that I guess was like a theater, yeah, we were all hanging out in this one strip bar, uh, which was cool. Um, There's smoking everywhere. You can smoke in bars. So it was like kind of basement dwelling, like smoky vibe. Like you're in a jazz bar in like the, the 40s or something. It's super dim. Just dimly, hasn't changed. Dimly lit. Yeah. Yep. A lot of things were like, finally, felt like they were in the 80s or something. Oh. There's payphones everywhere. Although if you, uh, if you throw a cigarette butt on the street, you could get fined. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. No litter anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were also like, some super late nights drinking in those bars, which was a nice, nice vibe with the jet jet lag. <laughs> it was like we were on no, no time zone for a little bit. That tour
0: that you recently went on was really the uh, longest string of shows that you've played consecutively in quite a while. The band participated in a select number of live stream events during the pandemic, including Under the Stars, hosted by Pacific Sound Radio. Uh, though you have been largely inactive on social media from 2020 until basically this year so i'm curious as to like just kind of filling in the blanks here like what prompted the need to 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 step away for one and then yeah dive into the next parts
1: yeah so i think we've been referring to it as like a pandemic induced hiatus for the band um we had released our first our debut album back in 2019 and we're feeling like we had a bit of momentum. We were playing lots of shows. We were just before the pandemic started back in studio to work on new music. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And I think it just forced us to, to stop for a moment like everybody else. Um, but I think it we just decided to take the time for reflection and figure out what we actually wanted from the band how we wanted to move forward making music um, and then also just like from a bigger picture perspective um, realizing that we're like going into our late 20s and what are we what are we going to do with our lives and you know other areas of passion for both of us um, seeing that you know while while the world's slowed down maybe we we take this time to explore those other areas of passion so You know, for me, that was getting more into like the field of mental health advocacy and switching up careers. For Craig, it was like going back to school um, to be involved in sciences, which is like not something he's ever done before. And so it was really like, yeah, just this this moment of pause. Changing things up in our life a bit. And then going from there and seeing like where the music took us. And so when we got back to things, I think we realized we really liked this duo setup of just the two of us. Um, you know, it, it's a very intimate sound and I think we wanted to explore that a bit further. So we had these songs that we had written, um, but we spent the pandemic sort of stripping them down a little bit and finding ways to make it honor that two-piece um, sort of setup that we were that we were wanting to explore further. And then we just took our time with it because we're like, no one's touring anyways right now. Releasing things seems like slightly precarious and that you're just throwing it out, out into the ether. Um, so we, we took some time to work with different producers. We went to the island a couple times and worked with um, Aiden Knight and Connor Head at Catalog Studios, reworked some of the songs. Um, We worked a bit with Jordan Klassen as well. And then we were at Park Park Sound Studios with Andy Schichter. So we were kind of all over the place and just, um, I don't know, we're we're a slow burn, slow burning band anyways. And so we were just uh, allowing ourselves to take some time and not putting pressure on ourselves. Um, So when it felt like, okay, these songs were where we want them to be, then we'll put them out instead of having a deadline and kind of working backwards from there.
0: Seems like a smart approach, considering it's been maybe over a year since they rolled back any any and all local uh, COVID-related restrictions. In fact, I think I read somewhere that it wasn't until like last month that the WHO said the pandemic was over. So,
1: a hundred percent, yeah. And it it didn't feel like, yeah, there, it wasn't it wasn't safe for for people to gather. It was. I, we we know how hard it was for our friends who were actively trying to find spaces, places to gather, um, you know, safely and following guidelines. Just seeing that struggle, I think we recognized that, you know, there were other areas that we could be focusing on at the time. We had some music that we were going to release and we just wanted to do it when it felt right. And so I think during all that, I didn't recognize how much I was missing um that piece of my life and so since we've been releasing this new music i think it's sort of made me realize um just how important and and vital it is to how and how important that sense of community can be for myself for craig um and having these shows in japan as well just being able to get up there and perform multiple nights in a row um felt super fulfilling and yeah, something that I didn't even realize I was I was missing as much as I was.
0: One thing I noticed with uh, the new record, "What I Need," being released a couple of weeks ago at the time of recording, looking back at your first record, "Watergate," the lyrics, especially, I found uh, are a bit more fantastical with certain songs steeped in mythology. And I'm wanted to ask, like, in what ways is "What I Need" more grounded and personal? in comparison and what led to this shift between the two records.
1: Yeah. I think part of the reason why the first record had that sort of, as you said, fantastical nature to it, um, really was in this piece of me, not feeling super comfortable discussing my own personal sort of thoughts and feelings. And so, um, I think from a very young age, I I loved poetry, I loved writing, and I loved using metaphors and analogies to help me uncover how I was feeling. Um, But as time went on, I think throughout the pandemic, I really spent a lot of time doing that self-reflection, doing that work, um, trying to heal a lot of trauma that I had experienced. And it just felt like uh, it didn't feel appropriate to try to use um, sort of flowery poetry to to make it more palatable um, and I really just wanted to talk about how I was feeling discuss my own wants, my own needs and desires um, and really use it as a chance as I've been saying a lot um, through this release it's kind of uh, an ode to all the recovering people pleasers out there Um, this idea of you can take up space and you can talk about um, what you want and what you need and um, there's a lot of power within that. And so it just felt like it needed to be said as it needed to be said um, as how I was thinking it. Um, Really just having those initial thoughts that I wrote down on paper when I first started writing them, having those thoughts remain as the final product.
0: And how does... All that, that you've talked about connect to the title of the record specifically. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I think it was coming from a place of having spent a large part of my life um, in a caretaker role for a family member, um, someone who suffers with mental illness, substance use, um, and really focusing a lot of my attention on their needs um, out of survival more than anything um, and reaching a point where um as an act of self-preservation to put myself first and i think for someone who has been in a caretaker role putting yourself first is really scary and uncomfortable um unfamiliar uncharted territory and so i just kept on asking myself what do i need what does that look like um and if you're someone who hasn't done that before in life it's not an easy answer and there's a lot of work that needs to go into figuring that out and so as i was writing these songs that was sort of in the back of my mind like okay let's use these songs to unearth what i need what that feels like and so yeah when we were trying to come up with a title for the album it just felt it felt very fitting it really encapsulated this idea that was recurring throughout the process for myself
0: you mentioned that you had started working on songs that wound up on this record before the onset of the pandemic. How much of, you know, what you've talked about trying to meet your your own needs, mm-hmm. how much of that like became like more amplified or, or got entwined with, you know, the collective challenges that especially a lot of artistic people were uh, dealing with during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think it, um these were already feelings and thoughts I was exploring prior to the pandemic for sure, um, on my own journey. But I think, as you said, it really amplified when I think all of us were being forced to sit in our thoughts a little bit more than normal. Right. And, um, everyone was sort of asking themselves these types of questions. I feel like, especially at the beginning as we were just forced to stay in our homes, um, with maybe just our thoughts, maybe with our our roommates, our friends, our family. Um, but yeah, I, I had already written some of the music prior to that, um, but we still had a few songs to write. There were still lots of pieces that were missing. Um, and I think it all sort of clicked into place there. And during that time is when I really started to recognize this pattern of like, oh, this is me. This is me unearthing my own desires, my own wants, my own needs. Um, And that was when the album title really kind of unearthed itself.
0: One thing I noticed listening to the the record is that percussion is sparse. uh, And I'm guessing 90% of the percussion that I do hear on the record is electronic. How does this creative decision play into the mood of the record? And again, like it's one of those contrast points that I noticed listening back to Watersgate.
2: Yeah, well, um, I think there's, I I, I can kind of clearly hear a, a division between like side A, side B. So the few moments where there are like yeah, that full band kind of sound are side A, which were those songs that we'd worked on prior to the pandemic. But uh, side B, I'm really the vibe I get listening back is, uh, it's like that mid-pandemic, two of us in a room. We're just making it... we didn't have a drum kit in our place, so necessitated like, okay, we're gonna program some beats. Um And then with certain songs, uh, like the one that comes to mind is the second last track. It's called "In Front of Me." and uh, I feel like the whole thing was written and recorded in like 30 minutes, because it's just such a vulnerable and painful song to sit in so whatever uh whatever synthesizer part came out first that was recorded and that's the final one that was on there same thing with the the beat it was like okay let's find a drum sound let's put it in there and uh i like that one for that reason because it really captures that mid pandemic exactly yeah yeah
0: i I find that interesting obviously because you had some more time to refine these songs obviously work on them with a few different producers and we'll talk about that, though would you say there's there's almost like a deliberate effort to be as bare bones as possible with the songs
2: i wouldn't say deliberate um i think there was more on our last record there was a lot of layers to things we had fun kind of piecing this sound with this sound um And maybe that's something we try again. But on the on this one I do feel like my role was uh a facilitator for Victoria's kind of vision. And this is her record what she's singing about. Um and it didn't need much to complement that. Um and then it, our good buddy Andy always does a good job of keeping things focused too. So there is a little bit of a process of paring down when we get into the mixing stage with him.
1: I was gonna add that I think for me, quiet moments of reflection were where I was able to make progress in my healing journey. And so it felt really necessary to have sort of quiet moments of reflection in the album. And so, yeah, in the first album, It was just this sort of joyous, liberated feeling that we were trying to convey, but um, I think this album was much less linear, and I wanted there to be, yeah, moments of reflection, moments of surrender mixed in with moments of joy, and sort of recognize this um, idea that healing is not linear, um, grief isn't linear, and and how can we make that reflective in the setup of the, of the songs and the track listing?
0: To draw a very deliberate Nick Drake comparison, it's almost like this record's your Pink Moon, whereas your previous one was like your Brighter Later or something like that. I mean,
1: I'll take that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned uh, previously that you worked with Andy Schichter on What I Need, who also worked on Water's Gate. And with this release, you also worked with A Knight, Connor Head, and Jordan Klassen on one of the tracks on the album. Yeah. What did this mix of new and returning perspectives add to the record creation process?
1: I think sometimes it's helpful for us to have outside perspectives um, as a couple that is working and writing and making music together. I think sometimes we can be like down in the trenches. Um And we're just like there together, just the two of us trying to to make sense of it, especially as we had this shift and desire to make a maybe more intimate duo based sound. I think that was where um, Aiden and Connor really came into play. We wanted to see how can we shift these songs to fit this um, sort of vision we have in mind? Um, And we didn't really know quite how to get there. And so we didn't know what these sessions with them were going to look like, but we just recognized we needed a little bit of a helping hand. And so in that space, we really um, were just provided a chance to have some outside ears, look in, and um, guide things to that more intimate sound that we were after, which was very helpful. Um, And then through working with Jordan, I think, I mean, he's just such a brilliant songwriter and producer. Um, And he worked on a track called To Me, which was a song that, I don't know, we just really didn't know what to do with. Um, The song came to me in a dream. um, And I had this dream and Craig told me just write down what happened in the dream to start with the lyrics and we'll go from there. So I said, okay, and I scribbled down these lyrics and I had this melody in my head. And then time went on and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and actually fix these lyrics so that they make maybe make a little bit more sense. They're not just my initial thoughts from this dream. And I kept on going back to it. And I couldn't think of anything other than these original lyrics that I had written down um, the moment the song kind of came to me. And so we had this sort of like piecemeal song, and idea, but we didn't know what to do with it. And I think, um, yeah, we reached out to Jordan and he was totally game to just dissect it and figure out like, what, what is this actually? And where, where do we want it to go? Um, and he was so great at sort of breaking it down piece by piece for us because we were, I think, at the time not able to get that micro perspective of it um and dissect it in the way that it needed so yeah we definitely couldn't have finished that that song without his assistance
2: our band really like in in 2019 and then some of 2020 we were recording the, the side A with with them in my parents basement uh mostly as demos but some of those demos made it into the those demo tracks made it into the final the final thing I was going to say, yeah, the on to me that those placeholder lyrics really did you dirty. <laughs> I think it was yeah, Jordan Connor, Aiden, of course, Andy's always on everything. Maddie Elkins, Chad Galpin, and Jamie Lee.
0: Yeah.
2: I guess going forward are
0: you planning on keeping up that I guess flexible approach where sometimes you'll play as a duo and sometimes you'll play as a as a full band? For sure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Depends on what the, the, well, first of all, the avail- availability of everybody, but mm-hmm. uh, the, whatever the show kind of calls for. Um, some shows are a little bit bigger, and it's nicer to play the bigger band. It's nice to play the, the smaller, yeah. Especially when traveling all the way to Japan, not having to deal with. <laughs> totally. We're, we're lucky uh, that we could kind of um, bring the entire song to life with just the two people, and it still felt full.
0: Yeah, if you can do, if you can pull off a duo or a trio, that's just the most economical way to function. What excites you most about releasing what I need?
1: I think most, it's just been really nice to connect with people on an artistic uh, way, in an artistic way, again. um, It's always so interesting as well to to hear other people's experiences that maybe sort of come up when listening to the music. Um, we've been performing live a little bit. And I think, as I mentioned in the lyrics, you know, being more open and honest about the place that they're sort of com- coming from. I think in that same side, I've also made a bit of a conscious effort to, to be the same way um, in our live performance and take time to to talk about, you know, the origins of these song lyrics and um, I don't know, there's, there's just so much power in feeling less alone in the world, right? And I think there were many times that I, I heard music from other artists who were going through similar experiences and finding solace in that. And so I, I've loved this opportunity to connect with people and, um, you know, be able to share that message that um it's it's not selfish to put yourself first. It's um, you know, as I said, grief is not linear, healing is not linear. Um, but we're all in this together and being able to come together and support one another is just is so important. So music is such a, a beautiful catalyst for that. And I think it's it's my favorite part of of being an artist, I would say.
2: Anything to add, Craig or <laughs> Can it add anything to that? <laughs> There's such a juxtaposition between your eloquence and my like. Uh, I think I'm still on Japan time or something. I woke, yeah. woke up at like 1:15 p.m. today. I didn't set an alarm. Oh um, my
0: gosh! <laughs>
2: <So> you just <laughs> rolled
0: out of bed and then trounced over to the studio. <laughs> it, it pretty much. Yeah. Took the dog out first. Yeah. Nice.
2: <laughs> I think that really says it.
0: I hope this is a little obvious for for me on my end, but you're the exclusively the the lyricist uh, correct uh victoria i would
1: say pretty much 99.9 okay. percent of the time every once in a while craig comes up with something so beautiful and poetic a little line here or there and i will nab that and say okay i'll i can work with that um this notion of split screen eyes for, which was one of our singles mm-hmm. that was craig's idea and it perfectly fit in with a song idea that I had in mind um, and this, yeah, this metaphor of having split screen eyes was just absolutely perfect. And I don't think there was nothing really attached with that. It was just a line you had had written in, in one of your books. Um, but I was, I was able to take that piece and run with it. So sometimes Craig provides me with some much needed inspiration, but predominantly, yeah, the songwriting uh, lyrical side, sticks sticks on my end.
0: <laughs> you mentioned that you had drawn inspiration from other artists who were going through something similar with what had been going on in your, your personal life, Victoria. Any artist realms specifically caught your attention?
1: I would say first person coming to mind for me is Wafe, if you know her.
0: Not familiar, actually.
1: Yeah. Um, Tell me more. She, Nandy Rose is her name. Um, she played with Pine Grove for a bit. Um, But her music is really beautiful. Um, She has an album. I want to say it's called Lavender. I think it's called Lavender. Um, But it really explores that family lineage in a way that's so beautiful. Um, It touches upon the painful aspects, but also, you know, the liberation that can be found within that. And yeah, I think that was a very inspirational album. And she's an inspirational Artist for me. Y-
2: yes, but not in a lyrical way. We have like um, quite a collection of Alice Coltrane records, and there's such a vulnerability there that is just such a huge inspiration, not just in music making, but in life living.
1: It's true. Alice Coltrane has got me through some really rough times, um, and so much so that even the when we were trying to come up with the album artwork um, for what I need, we were using um, photos of Alice Coltrane as as reference, um, really in reverence for just the incredible talent. And um, like, I don't even know, she's just otherworldly um, and really trying to honor that and um, the way that she has sort of guided us through our musical Our musical journey.
0: Nice. What does the group have in mind to promote what I need? Since it's been out a couple weeks, but you know, we've got a whole summer ahead of us.
1: Yeah. We want to get some more shows in the works. We've been really focused on this Japan tour, to be honest. um, and the release of the album. And so now that we're back in town, we're trying to get a few summer shows set up, a couple things in the fall. Um, and really, just have some more opportunities for live performance. I think it's been really fun these initial uh, few months we've been back performing live, and just uh, figuring out ways to expand upon this sort of duo setting. So, um, yeah, I think live performance is the biggest biggest thing for us, and then yeah, get get reconnected with this Vancouver music scene that has shaped and shifted so much over the past few years you probably feel the same right
0: (laughs) i i I look back through our archive episodes and not to be morbid but sometimes it feels like i'm walking through a graveyard i'm like oh they're not around anymore they're not around anymore oh they're a new band now but no uh, (laughs) totally yeah that's even pre-pandemic i will say though i was very happy to see that a lot of the acts that i like and i follow kept at it so which is amazing yeah
1: yeah yeah, the resiliency has been really remarkable to witness. Um, I, like, I
0: joined a band during the, I uh, joined two bands during the pandemic, basically. So okay, so
1: nothing was stopping you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I kept the the show going because I was going crazy without it. So totally,
1: yeah, yeah you needed something to yeah. hang on to. Totally. Thank God for
0: video calling, but I'm happy to be doing this instead.
1: In, yes, in person is lovely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Might be a little bit early to tell though, do you feel that this latest record, what I need, is an indication of a uh, new direction that you're going to further explore with the next release, or more of a um, like stopgap, or a um, what do you call it, um, something akin to like a diversion from a uh, a path that you're going to explore in the future?
1: I think it's definitely a path that we're keen to explore. I think, to me, it feels very natural and organic. It's a space that I feel comfortable in um, and so I'm curious to see like how can we push that but also honor the fact that I don't know it, it feels right it's what I need right now so to speak <laughs> um, I think yeah I, I I really like the fact that we're in a space where we can create and perform music the two of us um, and I think that sort of like intimate sort of folky sound mixed with electronic little riffs and bits and bobs. I think that to me is just, um, it's so satisfying and it's what I, when I'm looking at like, okay, what do I want to make now? I think that's sort of the space that feels uh, most satisfying in this moment.
2: Yeah. I'm curious to explore this mood more. Um, I'm sure other artists can attest to this uh like one of them one of the exciting things about putting out a record is then you can work on new music too um so it uh, which is something we've started doing and it's yeah it's just fun to total freedom we'll see where see where it goes we'll follow follow any mood down any direction um
0: what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode? Uh, Ryan
2: Garner just released an album. I don't know if you've had him on. No, not yet. Really good. He played at the Fox, uh, Thursday night. Um, and before we left for Japan, we played, uh, music waste. And, uh, that was our first time seeing Kylie V. Oh yeah. If Kylie V is great. I've been meaning to have them on the show. Unreal. Yeah. So uh, I was li- actually going back to our first question. I was listening to a EP a lot on the trip.
0: Yeah. That was one of our like favorite releases of the year so far picks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Their, Found mus- on our their music is so, so great. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I, um I think music waste in general, actually, the super diverse, eclectic mix of artists that were performing this year, just kind of like all years. Um, it was a cool way for us to tap in and figure out who's playing in Vancouver, what's going on. I think Music Waste just really has their finger on the pulse, so to speak. And so they had a lineup of of really great artists um, from all all types of genres. And we wish we could have seen more, but we played our show at Music Waste, and the next day we were off to Japan. So next year, because yeah, they put on really great, really great shows.
0: Yeah, they've been run for a long time. For too. a long
1: time, yeah, yeah, really supporting arts in such a meaningful way, which we need more now more than ever mm-hmm. in Vancouver.
0: <laughs> Pre- preach into the choir.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. Yeah. So I think that's want to end it there.
1: Yeah. Thanks, James.
0: Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at pacificsoundradio.com. If you like the show, you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews. This is Living For You.